Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan. Presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions, each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. Welcome. My name is Caroline Moasasi, and I'm FACT's Roundtable podcast host. I'm honored to take on this role with FACT, as I'm also a passionate allergy and asthma advocate on the national and international level, a parent of children with food allergies, and the founder of GratefulFoodie.com. We're sitting down with Jill Midland, a parent of a rising college sophomore, to explore Jill's top five tips for preparing for college. This special podcast is presented in two parts to allow ample time to provide you with real-life college stories and conversations. We hope you enjoy part one. Jill Midland is a practicing attorney who resides in Port Washington, New York. She practices in the area of commercial finance. She received a Bachelor of Arts from the University of Pennsylvania and a Juris Doctor from the Brooklyn Law School. Jill is a member of an Outcomes Research Advisory Board regarding food allergies and is also an active food allergy advocate. She has been involved in drafting legislation and school guidelines for caring for students with food allergies on a county, state, and national level, including the Voluntary Guidelines for Managing Food Allergies in Schools and Early Care and Education Programs, published by the Centers for the Disease Control and Prevention. Jill co-founded the Food Allergy Support and Education Group of Long Island over 15 years ago and has remained a co-leader ever since. She has participated actively in fundraisers for food allergy research. Jill speaks frequently at FACT conferences on a variety of topics. She received the Food Allergy Initiative Food Allergy Leadership Award for 2008 and honorable mention for FAN's Muriel C. Furlong Award for Making a Difference in 2008. She was also a food allergy coordinator for a sleepaway camp in Massachusetts for six years. Welcome, Jill. We're very pleased to have you on the show today. Oh, thanks so much, Caroline. I'm really honored to be here, honestly. And I'm always personally happy to see you, so I'm a little more excited today. (laughs) Same. Before we get started, I really wanted to stop and take a brief moment here to help our listeners understand some of the facts, resources about colleges. So we have a website page about colleges and universities, and what's on there is a freshman checklist. And I'm a little biased because I wrote it, but... (laughs) I really like this list because it's very comprehensive. It covers everything from that moment that you say yes to your most favorite college and you've accepted your offer to all the way up to move-in day. So I highly recommend to listeners pop over to that page, take a look, look at some of these tasks, look at some of these must-do items. Also, I want to bring everyone's attention to a new blog post that just was released. It's all about communication, and I personally believe one of the biggest areas that a student needs to really get comfortable with and understand as they head to college is communication, that they feel comfortable talking to an adult or a stranger or somebody unfamiliar about their needs, and also talking to peers. And I know, Jill, you'll be talking a little bit about peer interaction, but it's really important to feel good with your communication. And it's really important to feel okay with talking about what you need, again, with adults, 
peers, people of authority, professors, all sorts of people. So I really urge everyone to take a look at the blog, at the web page, just to get a feel for this. But we're going to absolutely have some fun today, and we're going to dive right in here with Jill. So Jill, if you can please give our listeners a little background on your experience, your daughter, and tell us more about her food allergies and where she goes to college and what type of activities she's in. And also if there are any activities she was participating in prior to college that maybe impacted her experience. Sure. So she, uh, my daughter Maya, she's 19 years old. And, um, you know, we've had this list since she's nine months old that we're used to saying she's allergic to dairy, eggs, peanuts, tree nuts, and sesame seeds. But that's only until recently, actually, because she's done some various OIT studies at the clinic. And so now she's only allergic to unbaked egg, peanuts, and tree nuts. That's and, incredible. Congratulations. Yeah, thank Just you. have to stop right there for a minute. That is incredible. Going to college really with is. a smaller list. I have to say that's a whole topic for another podcast, I'm sure, talking about OIT. But but for our family, it was the right decision. For Maya, it was the right decision. And particularly at this stage of her life when she's going off to college, it really enables me to sleep better at night because she's narrowed the list down to a much more manageable one. That's beautiful. Thank you. And sorry to interrupt, but I just had to. No, that's okay. Um, so Maya is at Syracuse University. She's a rising sophomore. And she has really spent, I would say, all of her life, honestly, really just trying to help others in terms of how to live with food allergies and live a full, complete life despite your food allergies. She's done a ton of work with me lobbying for food allergy legislation, both in Albany here in New York, the state capital, as well as Washington, D.C. I think her first lobbying trip, she was five years old. I remember her asking if it was okay to run around in the fountain between a meeting with uh, Schumer and a meeting with Hillary Clinton. (laughs) Sure, every lobbyist runs around the fountain and takes off her shoes. Go ahead, honey. So she's really been doing this her whole life. And she started speaking at teen conferences. I remember the first time Eleanor uh, Garrow, our fact leader, invited her to one. was before she was even old enough to attend. She was only 11 and the cutoff age was 12. But she went and publicly spoke about one of these OIT trials that she was doing. And so she's also been a counselor at Camp TAG, and uh, she's just been a mentor to younger kids and teens for as long as I can remember. But uh, she, I'd be remiss, and I'd get in a lot of trouble if I didn't also mention that she loves doing musical theater, competitive gymnast, she's a golfer, and a huge fan of your daughter, Layla. Well, Layla's going to like hearing that. I know <laughs> Maya personally, and she really is a wonderful advocate. And I'm sure she's advocating for fellow students right now at her college. Absolutely. All right. So Jill, can you share your first tip, which is how to let them handle it their own way? College is like everything in life with our kids. And we sort of have a vision of what's best for them. And they have an entirely different vision. So it's very difficult as they get older to sort of let them fulfill their vision, not yours. And and college is no exception by any means. Uh, I know when I imagined her going off to college and I've sort of been preparing myself, I always pictured her living in a single dorm room uh, with her own kitchen so she could cook for herself. I thought that would be the safest option for her. And I thought that would make her the most comfortable. And I went about working with doctors to get all the necessary paperwork done to request that sort of an accommodation from her college because, you know, it's a special accommodation to be allowed to have a single room and a kitchen. 
as it turns out, that was not what she wanted at all. So that was the first uh, realization that I had to sort of let her do this her way and not my way. She felt very strongly that she wanted what she referred to as the true college experience. For her meant living in a double with a roommate that included the ability to have a kitchen. She just thought that living in a single would be too isolating. And this was how she wanted to proceed. And I was petrified because especially with a, a roommate that could be a stranger and you don't know who you're going to get. And as we've all experienced with our kids and our teens throughout life, some people are more accommodating and more sensitive to needs of others and more sympathetic and empathetic. And all I pictured was she would get some horrible roommate who insisted on eating all of her allergens in the room constantly. And that was not what happened at all. She really, knowing that she wanted to go about living with a roommate, she went about it the best way possible. And like many other teens now going off to college, she went through social media and tried to meet other people who were going to the same school. And as it turned out, she met a young woman who knew some friends of hers. So they, they had mutual friends in common and the mutual friends said, you guys would be great roommates. You have to get together. And we really hit the jackpot. I mean, her roommate was just an absolute doll and they were very close friends. And the one reaction Maya did have in college, the roommate had been trained and how to use the EpiPen and went with her to the hospital. And it was you know, a bonding experience really. So we just got very lucky and I let go and let her do it her way. That's fantastic. So now the new roommate, or not so new now, I guess she's yeah. <laughs> rising sophomore. But did the roommate have food allergies herself, or she just knew of people with it? Like she does not. But you know, Maya and she had a lot of talks about it, and it was funny. Uh, two two funny things I'll mention. One is that when we moved in first, and we had rented a fridge. A lot of times when kids are sharing a room one parent will rent the fridge microwave combination. And we had done that, assuming that she would share. And when she arrived, her mom moved her in with her own fridge. And her mom said, look, I'm just so nervous. I don't want her to have anything in her fridge that could make Maya sick. And it was just so overwhelming to me that somebody would be that thoughtful to do that. you know. And, and I have to say, the mom was also wonderful. After Maya's first reaction that I mentioned, or only, knock on wood, so far, reaction at school, when the roommate went with her to the hospital. And unfortunately, it was late. It was about midnight, so they didn't get home until six in the morning after observation and all. And I got a call from the mom the next day, and I thought, oh, here comes the call. She's moving her daughter out of this room. <laughs> and instead, she was nothing but lovely. She just asked how Maya was doing and, and what, you know, what could she do to help. And she did say, you know, will this be a regular occurrence since, since it did happen the first week? <laughs> but I assured her that I hoped it would not be a regular occurrence. And thank God, knock on wood has not happened since. Well, that's a great story of inspiration. Maya also communicated really well, really clearly with this person ahead of time, mm -hmm. and they just connected. Yeah, very, very and, lucky. Excellent. Well, it's really good to hear. Yeah. All right. So now your next tip, number two, is when people don't play the roles your student expects, teach your student how to problem solve these situations. Yeah, this turned out to be far more important than I realized. So in doing our research, preparing for going to college with food allergies, um, using obviously the fact resources and others, we found that one of the most important steps that your student can take is to reach out to the Office of Disability Services or some schools called the Office of Special Services before you even get there. And that office is really supposed to handle every accommodation your student might need with respect to food allergies. And while some people might think that that's just dealing with dining service, you know, oh, just 
as long as she deals with dining service, she's fine. That's not really the case. You have to deal with the academic department because you have to make sure that all of the professors are on board that she might miss school if she has an allergic reaction or she might miss an exam. She might need more time to make up the work after something like that happens. And particularly in her case with this OIT trial that I mentioned she was in, she was going to be missing one day a week for the first few months just to come fly home to New York for a doctor's appointment. So, so we really needed the professors to be on board. And also I thought we would need housing accommodations because I thought we would be asking for a single room and a kitchen. So there's really so many different departments in a university that have to be coordinated. And the Office of Disability Services or Special Services is supposed to be like the quarterback to make sure that the student is coordinating with all of the right departments. And unfortunately, that was not how this particular Office of Social Services viewed their role. And they really were sort of a brick wall for her. Um, I say for her, it's important to note, by the way, that once your child is going off to college, it's not you who can go talk to all of these offices anymore. The, the colleges do not want to deal with parents. Your student, once they turn 18, is a legal adult, and they are supposed to be making all of these calls and, and setting up all these appointments, much like Caroline was saying earlier, the importance of communication. The school wants the child to take the lead. So she was supposed to have a meeting with them the first few days of school. And I even asked if I could just attend and sit in the background and not say anything. But they ended up canceling the meeting. And then they told her they were too busy to reschedule. And then they ultimately said that they didn't think that there was a need for them to be involved at all, that all she had to do was talk to dining services and she'd be fine. So I wish that I could say that I gave her the tools or taught her some tools on how to problem solve this situation, but she really taught me because I was livid and you know wanted to go storming into their office and saying, what are you talking about? She needs your help. You have to coordinate. And instead she said, mom, I don't need them. I'll just cut out the middleman and I will do what I want directly with the various departments. And especially at this point, knowing that we didn't really need a housing accommodation per se, what we did need was for her RA, her resident advisor on her hall, to be fully familiar with food allergies and how to prevent, recognize, and respond to an emergency. And oddly, that was one of the things I mentioned, or she mentioned to the Office of Disability Services when they said, why would you need anything from housing? And she said, well, I want to know that I could talk to my RA. And they balked at that and said, well, that's a lot of responsibility to put on an RA. So, you know, we don't think you should talk to them about that. So it kind of worked out well for her that they removed themselves from the equation because she went directly to the RA and talked to him about it. And he was wonderful. In fact, I remember when after we were getting ready to leave, after we dropped her off, we saw big signs in the hallway that said no food in this area, food allergies on the hall, because there's a sort of common sink and kitchenette sort of area. He was terrific. He also was there for her that night. She had the reaction. So she had her roommate who she had trained and she had her RA who she had trained. And then she went and spoke directly with dining services. Fortunately, because she had done a pre-orientation program, it happened that the gentleman who was responsible for the meals for the pre-orientation program, which she had to arrange to be safe for her, was also coincidentally one of the managers of dining service and the manager of her dining hall. So he was terrific. He took the whole family on a tour of the dining area and showed her where she could get special foods. There was actually a whole special area, really more for celiac kids, but he showed her that there were safe places that she could keep her stuff in that sort of private area. And it was actually very sweet. I remember noticing that there was a big ice cream freezer. and He said, oh yeah, that's our favorite. All the students love to get single serve ice creams out of their novelties and such. And at this time she was still allergic to milk. And I said, oh, that's a shame. I don't imagine there's any non-dairy ice cream in there, is there? And he said, 
No, but anything she needs, she can ask me. And by the next day, he had put Tofuti Cuties in there, one of the alternative ice cream. So, so she dealt directly with him. She dealt directly with housing. And she reached out to all of her professors directly and just said, you know, this is the situation. And I just hope that we could work it out if there's ever a time that I miss school. So, you know, it's very encouraging to hear that even though it didn't start off the way you wanted, but it's encouraging to hear that Maya was able to take control and to work with it. But that also, you know, we start out in one area thinking it's going to be this way and we end up somewhere very different. And I think the key here is what you're saying maybe is you need to have flexibility. Absolutely. You really need to work it through. I'm also hearing, though, that it was a, that interpersonal communication and those relationships that really seemed to help it flow. So when she hit a wall, she just moved to somebody else. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Very creative. But I, but I do still recommend to others that they do start with the Office of Disability Services. That is absolutely the place you're supposed to start. And even if they did nothing else, there were specific college forms online that we needed to fill out to be entitled to any accommodations whatsoever. So I strongly recommend people start there despite our experience. Oh, absolutely. That's our recommendations as well as start with the highest office and then ask from there, who do you speak to? Where do you go? Try to get everything in writing. So if things do get wonky, you know, also it's important to remember to anticipate changes. You may have the perfect relationship with somebody and the perfect system in place. And then guess what? They retire or they move to another school or they move on. So it is really good. Like you were saying, go see those offices, see what you can get set up. Thank you for listening to part one of Preparing for College with Jill Midland. Join us for part two to hear Jill's three remaining college tips. Thank you all for listening to Facts Roundtable podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes coming soon. Please subscribe, share, and review our podcast, and be sure to connect with us on social media. You can find us on Apple Podcast, iTunes, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Have a great day. And always be kind to one another.